naturally our brains seek out what's going wrong rather than looking for what's going right. So that makes change a very frightening thing because immediately our brains will go on high alert and they'll look, our brains will look for, okay, what is what is going wrong in this picture? What do I need to be on guard for? What do I need to watch out for? Look, I'm not going to lie, you have to deal with that season of drought. You have to get through that season of drought before you get to spring again. Because if you're not going to get through it and you're not going to deal with all the emotions that you feel during that season of drought, you're not going to get to spring. You have to get through Gethsemane before you get to the victory. everyone and welcome to episode 19 of Hungry Women at Work with me, Navilia Malloy. In 2017, I attended a leadership course at Gordon Institute of Business Science and in the very first session, the lecturer opened with these words. We are living in a VUCA world, a volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous world. She went on to say that the most important skill any leader would need in a VUCA world was the ability to adapt. In South Africa, the word VUCA with a K means wake up. I quite liked the ironic play on words. Living in a VUCA with a C world requires us to VUCA in our willingness to adapt. Now that was three years ago, when we were still navigating our way through volatile things like state capture, increasing gender-based violence, and a severe drought in South Africa. And around the world, there were other complex issues, such as Brexit, global warming, and rising acts of terror. But the year 2020 undoubtedly wins the award for the most VUCA year ever. Can I get an amen? Never has the need been higher for every single one of us, not only leaders, to be able to shift, to transition. In fact, how to manage change ranks right up there in frequent search terms alongside how to make your own mask and how to date during social distancing. That's for a whole nother episode. But with that context in mind, In this episode, we feature two guests who have navigated their way through significant changes of their own. There's Alyssa Conley, a track and field athlete who decided to sidestep her way off the athletics track and onto the, wait for it, rugby field. I kid you not. Alyssa's so into change that she's also pursued her master's thesis in changing direction. Then there's Kim Foster Yardley, a South African psychologist now based in Toronto, Canada. She has a particular interest in sport and performance psychology, and she's also a self-confessed queen of change. We'll hear from these women how they've navigated their way through changes in their own lives and what they've learned along the way. Think of this as your crash course in change management with a bit of free therapy thrown in for good measure. Hello, Alyssa, and welcome to Hungry Woman at Work. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks, Hungry Woman. (laughs) (laughs) You had quite a radical transition. You went from an athletic stream to now playing 
sevens women's rugby. Yeah. When was the day when you just thought, let me stop running and start throwing a rugby ball around? Obviously, I was an athlete for 21 years. It's a very long time. A lot of highs, a lot of lows. Um, and I just started like doing some introspection on myself, you know. Uh, I unfortunately, Track is my passion. It's my love. It's my first love. I don't think anyone or anything can take that love away from me. Mm. It's my love. Like, um, But I just, I stopped... I think like with any relationship, you just need a break. <laughs> and <laughs> it's I just com- needed a it's break. It's complicated. It's not you. It's yeah. definitely me. Exactly. <laughs> you know, I just needed my body and everything just needed a break. And I think also with track and field in our country, I just wasn't getting what I wanted to get from it. Um, I wasn't getting the passion on the track anymore. I wasn't getting the feeling on the track anymore. And But I gave it time and I raced um, a provincial champs on the 24th of March and I mean, even leading up to the race, I wasn't feeling what I would feel before. Um, and when I got to the to the stadium, uh, I mean, before we even got to the stadium, I told my parents, like, I think this is my last race that you're going to see I me read, I read you say that in an article yeah. and I actually wanted to ask you a bit mm-hmm. more about that because, I mean, that's that's bold. Yeah. That's bold. That's yeah. a, I'm at the top of my game. I'm doing well. I'm still, this is all I've ever known. So all the tick boxes for why you should continue mm-hmm. and... Yet there's an internal thing that you yeah. just like, and you know. Mm. And so how do you translate from, okay, I've made the decision with my head and now my body and my life yeah. has to come in alignment with that? It, it was a long time coming. It wasn't just, okay, I'm waking up and telling you that I'm stopping athletics. No, it was, I think, the disappointment of not being taken to world champs in 2017 after Olympics in 2016 and with me really sacrificing absolutely everything and working really hard to not tick the world champs box and just being left behind with no real reason that was really hard that was a really hard pill to swallow and um, after that like you know it, it was over 12 months where this decision was just lingering in the air but I woke up every day I went and I trained and I ticked the boxes but it was there that feeling was there and um, I think Parents being parents, they saw it coming. You know, my dad, he answered me and he said, I knew it. You know, but we were still here to support you. We still came to every race. We were just waiting Beautiful. for you to be ready um, to tell us, but we knew. And yeah. so even me telling them, it wasn't a surprise. They were like, let's go run and whatever happens from here happens. You know, and we went and I raced and the 26th of March, I flew down to Cape Town and <laughs> I joined the, the team um, for a camp and that was the first time I touched the rugby ball so it was literally <laughs> just okay let me go see if I'm good at something else <laughs> and and I did it and you know I, I don't think I did it for myself really I think I did it for women in sport because a lot of women think that they can't do something because maybe they don't have a background in it because they're scared to try it out um, because they don't see a future in it I mean there's many reasons that they don't believe in what they can do or can't do and I just wanted to show them like I've been running for 21 years and the first time I touched the rugby ball was on the 24th, 26th of March, 2016. No, I lie. What's the date? 2019. My dad's birthday is 26th of March. There we go. (laughs) Significant. So 26th of March, 2019 was the first time I touched the rugby ball and I mean, I possibly will play some big games for South Africa. So if I can do it, why can't you? It's it's just literally something that you have to believe in. And I think that that's, that's the main reason I did it, to be an advocate for women in sport. And, um, you know, whoever motivates, even if it's just one person, I'm happy.
Hello, Kim Foster Yardley, um, joining us on the line from Toronto. Kim, you are a South African-born, from South Africa psychologist who's now based in Toronto. And you have a particular interest in sports and performance psychology. So thank you for joining us on the line. How are you today? I am well. It's so great to see you and to speak to you. You yourself have experienced quite a few shifts in your own life. Can you tell us a bit more about that and how you've managed those transitions? So, yeah, I feel like the last three or four years have been a complete whirlwind of changes. And just when I thought I settled, then things changed again with this pandemic. So (laughs) I think this topic is so appropriate. Um, So, well, well, to begin, I guess the the big move was from Cape Town to Toronto. Um, So moving cities, countries away from family, um, so that was a big shift, like, because we didn't know, my, my partner and I, we didn't know anybody in Toronto, so we came yeah. here all on our own, some, because we were, I mean, seriously, be careful what you wish for, because we want to change, <laughs> we wanted life to be interesting, I mean, like, be careful, people, what you put out there, you might just get it, um, that whole process was, um, was quite um, difficult in that If anybody has been through an immigration process, it's not a smooth road. Um, We, we, I had already, I had, I had a successful practice as a psychologist in Cape Town. Um, My husband was doing well; he was working at a great studio, and like we just decided, like we wanted more, and of course. Of course, why not? <laughs> Who's satisfied with what you've got, right? Like this, listen. <laughs> um, decided, like, yeah, to to start this immigration process, but it never runs smoothly. The bureaucracy takes a really long time. There was a t- a time period of almost a year where we were living out of suitcases. Um, so I had sold my practice. We had sold our car, and we almost were out of our apartment in in um in Cape Town and then our application got canceled and we had to reapply. (laughs) And that was like crazy. Had to quickly find work for a few months. Lived lived with friends, so learned the generosity and care of friends. And I think actually looking back, it was very stressful and there were definitely moments where I actually just broke down, where I was like, I cannot do this anymore. Why do you think it's hard for us to make shifts why are we so stuck on holding on to the way things are? And what are some of the, the things, what are some of the mindsets or behaviors that hold us back from changing direction? So my answer is partly as a psychologist and uh, I must admit I'm quite an a neurobiology freak so I love my neurobiology random like facts this. I'm going to share some of those but it's just like and then I'll also talk to my personal experience but starting off with as a psychologist I would say that our brains are actually quite predictable in many ways like even though we have this wonderful potential actually um, and in the last 10 years there's been some really exciting research around something called neuroplasticity yes. this idea that we can actually change our brain pathways and there are so many cool ways to do that and I can share some of those today awesome. um, but the truth is that we do have cognitive biases so we have these kind of like 
cognitive loops. So our brains are very sophisticated, but they also kind of lazy. So they like having, they like to simplify processes. And these create like almost like these quick little pathways that become habitual and become these like set habits, habitual ways of thinking. Yes. Um, and there are quite a couple of them um, that I see a lot with my clients actually. Um, but the one to do with change, um, firstly, it's the negative attribution bias. So that's this idea that we're always looking for the negative in things. So it's very hard, like naturally our brains seek out what's going wrong rather than looking for what's going right. That's interesting. Mm, so that makes change a very frightening thing because immediately our brains will go on high alert and they'll look, our brains will look for, okay, what is, what is going wrong in this picture? What do I need to, what do I need to be on guard for? What do I need to watch out for? And so much so, so much more so in something like a pandemic where people already are scared, it's uncertain. And so our brains are like, like reaching for as much familiarity and safety as they can. And our bodies also go through something called a fight or flight response, right? So when you're in that fight or flight response, you're immediately, interestingly, two things. The one is you're immediately scoping out your environment for danger. And the second thing is, is that the parts of your brain that are used to connect switch off. So we actually, when we're stressed, we, de we detach just on a biological level. So this is even before you start thinking and asking questions. So total um, survival instinct. Yeah. Our survival mode um, requires that we switch off the social aspects of our brain and we actually go into that fight or flight state mm. and we start being hypervigilant to our environment and that negative attribution bias kicks in in a big way. So we're looking out for danger. We're looking out for what could go wrong. And... We're basically trying to survive. Mm. Um, mm. So it's actually quite instinctive. It's not your yes. fault. That's the first thing. Like, so that initial, like I always say to clients, like that initial reaction you have to a crisis or a transition, just allow yourself to flow with it. Like it's wow. okay. Wow. You know, like it's just your, your body is, as much as we like to think we live in our heads, we're a biological system. I love so it. when all that stuff is happening, <laughs> just go with it. And then allow yourself that moment of panic and that stress. But know that there are ways, even during that time of anxiety and stress, that you can calm yourself down. There are like little things you can do to calm yourself down. And then when you feel just a little bit more settled, start connecting. Because when you connect with other people, it actually helps your brain to shift out of fight or flight. So we actually need that social connection to shift out of a fight-or-flight state. Before the transition to rugby, Alyssa, you went through a tough season of being on the fringes of athletics, largely due to injury. It was a very volatile and uncertain time for you. I want to touch on those four years. Mm -hmm. So um, there you are. I mean, you, you were at the peak of your career. You've, you've known only one thing, which is competing and winning. Mm -hmm. And there you just... Chilling for four years. Yeah. What keeps you motivated in that time and how do you keep going? I mean, they, all of us have faced setbacks. Mm -hmm. I'm thinking of a woman right now who just feels like, you know, she's at the end of her tether. Yeah. What kept you going and, and what can you say to that woman right now who just feels like she's in a season of 
drought. Yeah. Look, I'm not going to lie. You have to deal with that season of drought. You have to get through that season of drought before you get through or before you get to spring again, you know, um, because if you're not going to get through it and you're not going to deal with all the emotions that you feel during that season of drought, you're not going to get to spring. Um, I'm, I'm very steadfast in my faith. And I went, I was listening to one sermon where the pastor said, you have to get through Gethsemane before you get to the victory. You know what I mean? Truth. And that Truth. season of drought at Gethsemane is not going to be easy. It's going to be hard. You're going to be tested. You're going to feel the rejection. You're going to feel worthless. You're going to feel the doubt. You're going to cry. Um, you know, you're going to deal with it in whichever way you need to deal with it, but you have to deal with it. And once you've dealt with it, that is when you will see all the flowers blooming again and you'll get to the victory. And that is exactly what happened with me. I had to deal with that season of drought. You know, I had to, there was so many times where I cried, where I, I mean, I didn't watch athletics at all. I didn't want anything to do with athletics. I didn't watch world champs. I didn't watch, I just completely cut myself away from that world. And I just went on with my life. And then eventually, slowly, I started getting back into it. You know, I started training again, working out again. Um, I worked for Nike, the company, and obviously I interacted with a lot of sports people. Um, and I think just being around them and in that energy and in that space, I realized I'm on the wrong side <laughs> and I want to be the, the sports person. I don't want to be the person on the other side. And I just decided I'm going to start training again. And mm -hmm. I realized that I can ask a lot of questions. I can, you know, be in that moment of drought, but the only way I'm going to get out of it is by myself. So you need to make the decision. You need to flip the switch and move on. It really does take a conscious decision to flip that switch, to make that decision to move on. And yes, it's something that we, that I have to do for myself. I think that the thing to remember is it's what, how we develop resilience and how we develop grit is by having a flexible mind. And actually, when we're open in that way and we are creative and we're restful, you know, we're not like on guard and tense about what's happening, we actually become more open to opportunity and we can actually become more creative. And, and so, you know, you'll see all these creative things that have popped up because of the pandemic, yes. and because of the pandemic, right? Although, can I say something else to this point? Completely. I did get very resentful at the beginning of this pandemic. Because like we all? Yes. I'm in Canada and, and we got bombarded by like media and like saying like, please comment on your experience and what's this like for you? And like, like people, there was like pressure to like, should I be writing a book about <laughs> something or like creating masterpieces of art? Do something and, with your life, right? Exactly. Like, and I was like, hold up, like let us first process this crazy experience. Like, we need time to process hard things before we can make meaning of them, and that's okay. So it's so important when it comes to change to be patient with ourselves. It's okay to feel like you're spinning in a tumble dryer. I like that. We need time to process hard things before we can make meaning of them. Hmm. So why are we so resistant to change? What holds us back from being more change-ready? and change fit. Kim, your thoughts? Maybe I am a little bit biased in this, but I actually think we're always shifting. And this idea that that we can stay, like, I, like there's certain things I think that we can use as our compass, like um, there's this whole 
bunch of research that's been done in the last couple of years around self-affirmation and knowing what your values are. And this idea that if you know what your values are, that can act as like an inner compass that can guide you through change. I think that even those values can change over time. They can grow as you grow and as you learn. But that shifting of those values will come with wisdom. It won't come from fear. I'd never considered that before. That our resistance to change actually comes from a fear of not being in control. I reckon if we're a bit more willing to surrender, we'll all soon be ready for our masters in change management. I know we don't have time to do all the rapid fire questions, but I have to ask you this. How do you keep your soul life in check? So whether it's prayer, for me it's mindfulness meditation, which I actually honestly think even if you've, if you've never tried it before, if there's one thing you take from this podcast, please give yourself the opportunity to try mindfulness. Sure. When I read this and I was like, that is deep. <laughs> that is so deep. But I think by reminding myself about what my purpose is in life. There we go. I just came up with that answer right now. Wonderful. Because it's a true <laughs> answer, right? Just by reminding because I'm really purpose-driven. And whenever I speak to young kids, I'm like, do you know what your purpose is in life? And do you know what you really want to achieve in life? Because we're so sidetracked by everything else that we forget our purpose. Yeah. So I think just by reminding myself about what my purpose is, yeah. Beautiful. Such powerful insight shared by both of you. Thank you so much for joining us on this conversation today. It's been absolutely fascinating. Give your brand a voice with Audiodacious. For podcasting, IVR and audio content solutions, check us out at audiodacious.com. Thank you so much for tuning into this episode. I don't know about you, but I feel a lot more empowered to pivot and embrace change after hearing their stories. Our listener question today comes from Ochi in Santon. She writes, I've spent so much time reading about how to pivot during this pandemic. How can I build a career or business that's resilient to change? Ochi, thanks for your question. And I hope today's episode helped to address some of that. I also decided to pose your question to our resident psychologist because, well, we could. I asked Kim her thoughts on which value could help us be more change-ready during this pandemic. Here's what she said. So self-compassion is the ability to be kind to ourselves in our suffering. So that means that you see your strengths, you see your vulnerabilities, you see the things you're proud of, you see the things you're ashamed of, you see the whole of you and you offer yourself care and love. You see the whole of you and you offer yourself care and love. Yes. Yeah. So like letting go of that perfectionism or even seeing it and seeing that part of you that's scrambling for perfection and being kind to that part of yourself and being like, okay, I see your skill. I see your struggling. I'm with you. We'll do this together. You know, just offering yourself that kindness. It can just, it can lower your heart rate. It can switch off that like fight or flight response. It can make you more open to connection from other people because the more compassionate we are towards ourselves, the more we are able to receive compassion from others and also give compassion to others. 
That's a great note to end off on. Remember to subscribe to Hungry Woman Network on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or IONO FM. Till we meet again, keep thriving at work without losing your soul.